one of the things that that struck me. I mean, I, I've I've been to Colorado City a few times. Um, you know, wa walking around the gen I mean, the gender balance is really crazy. Like you you'll maybe see one man and then hundreds of women. Um, and I suppose that's that's by design. But it's still it's it seems crazy that is is the practice of of um, of sort of banishing the boys still as still as as often practiced as as maybe it was a couple years ago. It's very interesting in my time in Colorado City when I was in the schools and in the social gatherings, you don't see a young man and a young woman together. You don't see high school sweethearts holding hands, walking home from campus. That does not occur in that community. There is not, all the statistical data indicates there is not a disproportionate number of women to men down there. They are relatively equal in number. What then becomes the issue is what happens to the young men. Where are they? Why are they not as evident as the young women? And the young women are many times more centralized because they are there with their husband. And so they are, in effect, gathered into a location. While the younger men may be going out, actually going to college in some locations, living in different communities, working in different communities, right. all until the time where they may be able to join, have their own home setting, and begin their own family. Interesting. Interesting. I, I, one of the things that, that was that sort of struck me was was that um, you know that 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 little espresso stand as you go, as you drive into town. That's new. Is is so curious because it's you know you can it's four four young girls in prairie dresses making making cappuccinos right there by the side of the road um and they're they're selling also organic homemade um additives that you can do these sort of herbal herbal right. cures which is so interesting that that naturopathy this... is is still figures enormously into the plural marriage communities they are strong adherence to naturopathic uh physicians and herbal cures. Uh, in fact, one of the big high-profile incidents in contemporary uh, polygamy history was the murder of Dr. Uh, Rulon Allred in his Murray medical office back in the 1970s. That right, uh, by, by, by um, the w women dressed up as, well, it was women yeah, who killed them, right? Yeah, by the herbal LeBaron family. By the LeBaron clan, right. The yeah, LeBaron exactly clan. right. And, uh, and Allred was a naturopathic physician you know, did lots of herbal cures and herbal treatments for people. And that's, an, that's a tradition that continues to this very day. You will not see a medical doctor in Colorado uh, City. What they have are midwives, and, and they do a lot of uh, treatment on their own as best they can until they have to go out and receive treatment in the closest cities, which is usually St. George. St. George or Hurricane, yeah. That's a, I, I, oh, I my just gosh, Nico, excellent pronunciation of of that word, most oh hurricane. No, yeah. I know, I know. I what's well, also very I, well done. Very thanks well very done. much. <laughs> I always I always pr process um and even even mainstream LDS LD. If you see a word and you think you know how it should be said, chances are they're saying it funny. <laughs> so, oh. um, there, there's a the it's, it's you know we had that same experience with the, with the names of the women in this opera where you you're the the way that the 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 pronunciation and the stress is always a little it's always sort of one thing off. It is, and, and it, it's an interesting interpretation. Once upon a time, and this was more clearly evident in the um, early 20th century, there was a strong Utah dialect, which sounded strangely New England rural. And this was because most of the oration was conducted by men 
who were born in New England and did not experience a great deal of formal schooling. And that makes so, total sense. Yeah, that it would yeah. have, and it would have been people from sort of from upstate New York and from Vermont. Yeah, and this is true. I mean, Brigham Young was from New Hampshire, Vermont, upstate New York area, and had a total of nine days of schooling, but would do hours worth of orations uh, in the the tabernacle setting in Salt Lake City, holding forth on the great issues of the day and theology and how to care for your five year old. And he spoke with a flatness in his voice that would be going far from here. So, and, and very, very so Stephen that, King. <laughs> yeah, and it started to get in so that the town of American Fork is pronounced American Fark. Fark, uh, yeah. Town, hurricane is pronounced Hurricane. Hurricane, yeah. So, and, and it manifests itself in a lot of ways. You can always tell a, a fourth-generation Utah because they still lose their A's and O's. Interesting. I wonder, you know, one, one other thing I was, I, I was thinking about a lot when I was writing this was the, the, the practice of keeping diaries. Um, it, what, it, it, where does that come from? Because it's so, it's so prevalent and, and it seems like there's so much diary, even when you're reading someone's diary, they're talking about writing in their diary. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of kind of meta diarizing. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering where, where you think that, that tradition comes from. It's a great, well, it's a great tradition that goes all the way back to the earliest days of pioneering settlement in Utah. And if you look at it, it actually extends back before the Mormons even came out here. Uh, Brigham Young, for example, I've read volumes of his diaries that he would keep in his own hand when he was on the road as a missionary for the church or uh, doing organizational work or even annotating his own plural marriages in his diary. The tradition is to document the path you're walking, and it's basically the path of faith. And, uh, and, and that's, I mean, contemporary LDS missionaries do that, uh, young women in the church do that, so it's something... That, well, that was so what was interesting, is, is that the women, the women are doing it a lot. And that it seems like, you know, I mean, Joseph Smith's wives had, had diaries, and, and you think that, yes. you know, in a, in, a lot of, in a lot of record-keeping traditions, and especially, especially in in religious communities, you know, it's it really is the the men's. I mean, in sort of modern historiography, that's always the problem, right? Is where are the women's voices, where are the voices of people of color, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. But it seems like the women are really are really on it in the in the um, especially in the FLDS. And uh, and what's a great tragedy is that many of these diaries have been destroyed on death, or they've been buried with the person. Ooh, really? And, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, delicious. There are some legendary figures. Uh, Martha Hughes Cannon, who was a remarkable woman right when Utah became a, a state. She'd gone back east. She was the first Utah woman to be trained as a medical doctor back at the Medical College of Philadelphia. She, was, she came out here. She was elected a state senator. Truly a remarkable woman. She was also a plural wife, and she kept volumes of personal diaries and journals about the agony she experienced as a plural wife and she never let on except in a few highly guarded letters to children that survived but on her death all of her diaries were burned Oof. and so, so i mean because a lot of these women are engaged in a confidential communication where they're pouring out their soul and sometimes nico it's the greatest uh, expression of faith and their confidence that they're following a sacred path 
and others voice their concern, others voice their doubts, others express or, or chronicle what they're seeing in other members of the group in a way that could be very, very embarrassing. So these are, and you see this manifest somewhat in the books that are being brought out by women who have fled. Right. Well, I was, I was thinking that, you know, one of the things that's, that's for me very interesting about, about Carolyn Jessup's two books is that, you know, despite the fact that she's obviously working with a, with a ghostwriter and, and she's, you know, the, there's, a, there's an oral tradition that she's working inside, you know, it's, it's stories. But then also she remembers some really petty details, like the time that, that one of her sister wives hid the shampoo. Like she's remembering shit from 15 years ago, do you know what I mean? And she's still angry about it. And, and it's fascinating because you see, these are the small events that shape the life in a plural marriage setting. Precisely, and it's, it's not the big. The big stuff is kind of the the big stuff is big stuff, but that that is that can be a sentence. You know what I mean? Or she'll say, "I, I got pregnant again." You know, period. However, let me tell you about this time that I couldn't take the car to go to Curves in Hurricane. Like that's that was a real affront. <laughs> right, the bread, right. The breadsticks. So, I mean, the breadsticks you know, incident. Um, is, <laughs> Uh, media interpretations and fictional accounts will think that the great battleground is found over who will share the husband's bed that night. But and of course, instead, no, it's, it's breadsticks. <laughs> what you'll find is who didn't wash that dish properly last week. And right. boy, does that really bother me. And, and so you see the, these small aspects of daily domestic life are the tripping stumbling points that remind them of their interconnectivity as a plural wife, that they do not stand alone, that their word is not law, that they are part of something. And being part of something is extraordinarily challenging, as anyone can tell you in a, in a domestic situation, one-on-one -on -one is tough enough. But when you're five-on-one, six-on-one, it's very, very challenging. And what, you know, one of the things that's that's interesting that that's, that always comes up in in these in these narratives is the, the idea that having multiple wives is stressful for for the for the husband, um, and it's like and you know that 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 father is father is working so hard to feed everyone and father is is really stressed out. And I wonder, you know, that I, if there if you've ever encountered any um, any writings by. Um, the husbands who talk about who talk about that that element of it, like the, what, what not the, writings, but but conversations. Uh, I've had numerous conversations with uh, uh, men practicing plural marriage, and it comes across as a patriarchal order. It's a duty, right? It's and and you're living a you're living a, I mean, to live a principle. It's you know it it's a. I, I is is the assumption is the assumption that you sort of take the good with the bad. Because well, it's, yes, it's a, and, it's a sacred see, thing. Nico, this is all part of this, this big umbrella of justification of the spiritual, of the pioneer, of the traditional that gets carried forward. And so the husband says, my sacred duty is to care for multiple wives, raise a righteous posterity, and provide for them. And I do this and I build my celestial kingdom beyond the veil. This is what I carry forward. And therefore, you, wife number three, your lot in life is not that difficult. For look at all that I must do to sustain this sacred principle. Right. Right, 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 right. That's so interesting. And it, it's, and, and right, and children are a blessing, but they're also kind of, it's a number that, that you're, that you're going for. So in that sense, there's a, there's a, the, 
the the man can feel the the weight of the the weight of the duty kind of and that, and that and that causes even more stress inside the home i suppose yeah but the the reality is that uh, raising, and this is the, the phrase they use time and time again, raising a righteous posterity, which basically right. means having enormous quantities of children, raising them right, and having them follow in your footsteps so that the daughters stay in the principle of plural marriage. The sons are good young men who work hard, who hold their tongues, who do their chores, who one day are then selected by the priesthood council to enter into the plurality of wives. All of this fits together into this image, but I've had conversations with, with so many of the men who can't remember the names of their children. Right. Well, once you, you know, once you get above, you know, 15, it starts getting pretty crazy, I should imagine. And, and I've told this story, and, and I hope this isn't the second time you've heard it, but uh, I sat down for a slideshow in Colorado City with one of the presiding elders on the priesthood council, and he was flipping through all of the, the photographic slides that showed what wonderful historical life they've had in Colorado City and how great they are and happy they are as a community. And finally, it comes up on a slide that shows uh, three young men. One is holding... Uh, an American flag, and it's a 4th of July celebration. He says, oh, we love our patriotic holidays. And on the left is my son, Isaiah, and on the right is my son, David. And I don't know who the young man is holding the flag in the center. And a sotto voce, uh, a man sitting next to him says, that's your son, Isaac. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and of course his name was Isaac, too. My God. You know, and... <laughs> and, and, and Yeah. And, and, and so... You have these experiences as so many times, and to the outsider, the, it, it's hard to find a solid enough foundation to try to understand what this life is truly like. A uh, big love for all of its ambition and all of its great writing compartmentalizes everything so that everything is easily recognizable. The personalities, the issues, the drama is clearly stated. But that's not the way it plays out over the long haul of 20, 30, 40, 50 years. No, of course. Marriage. And, and, I mean, the age, and, you know, in, in, in Big Love, everyone's loosely the same age. And I think, I think generational, you know, when you, when you had, when you had um, Uncle Roy married to people who were like, you know, 17, and he's in his 80s, it's a totally different thing than everyone being kind of in, in, that, in that sort of Hollywoodish late 30s age. Right, right. Uh, you know, the, 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 Brilliant casting calls are not made in Colorado City. I mean, no, they're, probably uh, not. Yeah, exactly. And and the reality is that a the first wife very often can see the fifth wife coming in at one half or one third of her age. Of in her some age, cases, exactly. one quarter of her age. 